Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm not going to argue. G'day. Oh, I hate it. I love it. Hi there. How's it going? We've missed you. We've missed you so much. It's been two weeks. Two long weeks. The time just crawls, doesn't it, Jess? It does, definitely. Well, I mean, it has for you because you're... No, it's gone really fast for you probably because you're the one that's had to do the research for tonight. Yes. Every nanosecond that I wasn't doing the research, I was thinking, oh man, I have so much research man, to do. Man, man, I've got so much work to do. Yeah. Anyway, hi. Welcome back to Murder in the Land of Oz. I'm Jess. I'm Ellen. And we're going to talk to you about murder. Again. Yay. The- Nothing's changed. This hasn't <laughs> turned into any other podcast, just so you're aware. It's all the exact same. It's all the exact the same. same. great Mitlu content you tune in every fortnight for. I was like trying to describe... Actually, shout out to one of our new subscribers, Alex Bayless, who works at PlayLab, having a chat to him at a party yesterday about the podcast. And he was like trying to like gauge like where we were. He was like, so are we talking like the serial side of things? Or are we talking like the My Favourite Murder side of things? I was like, sort of like My Favourite Murder, but it's like me and Ellen who's known each other for 15 years we know way too much about each other and I say stupid things and Ellen calls me out on it. The yeah. end. I usually just say it's like my favourite murder but less good. <laughs> oh, that's new. Well, they have like 18 million subscribers. Oh. I don't think I don't think it's like rude to us to say that we're not quite as successful as my favourite murder. Also, at this point in time, we found out from our producer Zane that we have hit the 1900 subscriber mark. You're so close to two. So close. Banger, banger, banger after banger, living for it. So good. Yes. Um, Also, a big Aussie g'day to (laughs) our favourite... Our favourite couple from Pennsylvania, Sherry and Roy. Roy sent us some awesome photos to kind of describe what we were talking about in our Ivan Milat episode with the firing pin impressions. We weren't wrong, but we also weren't as right as we could have been. So thank you so much, Roy, for sending us those photos. It was so, like interesting so i'm thinking that we need to book a holiday let's go to let's go to disneyland let's swing by pennsylvania and go hang out with sherry and roy i'm sure they would really appreciate that after listening to a few episodes of our podcast they'll be like come on in girls come i don't know hang out. sherry roy let us know <laughs> hit us <laughs> all righty okay <laughs> Sorry, Sherry and Roy. You guys are great. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for your support and your lovely kind words. And um, thank you, Roy, for taking us through the pinpoint. Yes. As a thank you, we will not come and stay. Yeah. As a thank you, we won't come to Pennsylvania. (laughs) Although I'm sure it's very lovely. Taylor Swift is from there. Okay. Sorry. I like Taylor (laughs) Swift. 
I know a lot of facts about her. Okay, cute. No worries. Anyway. Well, it's she- Ellen's turn tonight. It's my turn. I'm sure you're all very excited. She's the better one. That's not true. Uh, We're all equally that. as good. Equally as good as each other, but not as good as my favorite murder. <laughs> That's our new tagline. Yeah. Very catchy. Very, very catchy. Okay. So, Ellen, what have you got for us tonight? Today we are talking about the- Today, sorry. Today. Today. At any point in time when you were listening to this, we are talking about the murder of Carly Pierce Stevenson and Candelise Pierce. So this is a case that I really don't like it when people use this term, but I think I would describe it as my pet case if I was the kind of person who would describe cases as their pet case. Um, It's a case that I kind of became aware of sort of like in the middle of when I was first getting like deep into true crime and stuff like that. Like I'd kind of been on the periphery for a while, but because this was like a semi-local case, like it happened in Australia, like when the information started to come out about it, I was like, oh, I'm going to start doing my own research and stuff like that into this case. So it was kind of like, kind of like a little bit of a gateway drug, I I suppose, Mm -hmm. to kind of getting that little bit more studious about crimes. Um. And it's a very sad case. This episode is likely to be low on bands. Sorry, everybody. Like Anita Copy was too. Sorry. Yeah, like the vast majority of That's our episodes. That's the thing we were discussing before the podcast tonight. The New South Wales ones, because the majority of them are quite recent, it's hard to sort of, you know, banter on them because it's it feels very real. It's very real. It's that whole like comedy is tragedy plus time kind of thing. Like mm. there's not enough time. No. Also, murder is not funny. No, no, no. Also, we're not all that funny, but we're trying. Um, so I also did want to say that this case does involve a child. So if you don't want to listen to that, please listen to any of our other episodes or just like some music or something. You can do what you want. Live your dreams. So jumping off, uh, we'll start right in the thick of it. So on August 29th, 2010, a man who was trail bike riding in the Belanglo State Forest found some skeletal remains just off Brethren Point Road in an area of the forest known as Dally's Waterhole. So we're back in Belangelo. Um, which you may remember from the Ivan Malat episode as his old stomping grounds. So this man, Andrew, and his friends had ridden the trail many times before and had never seen any remains. But some controlled burning had been happening in the area, which exposed the skulls, spine, pelvis, and one femur that were hidden behind a log in dense bushland. There was a clump of hair next to the skeleton. Andrew, pretty alarmed, called the police. Anya. So Strike Force Hickson was established to investigate the findings. Um, the police sealed off the area and began searching. It's pretty much straight away, like the police and the media were like, cool, it's Ivan Malat. It's another Ivan Malat victim. Um, despite the fact that the entire forest was searched in 1993, um, one of the police officers at the time in 2010 looking for this remain said that the remains were actually found literally on the boundary line of where the search area in the 90s had stopped. So they were like, it could, it could be, it could be, it could be. Um, Clive Small, who was the lead investigator on the Ivan Malat case, commented and he said that while it was possible that Ivan Malat had committed three or four other murders, he didn't think that these bones were Malat's responsibility um, considering how close they were to the fire trail. So as you might remember, um, Ivan Malat usually placed his victims in slightly more secluded places off fire trails, away from fire trails. Um, but the media picked up the Malat line and ran with it. Um, Ivan Malat actually commented and said, nah, you're barking up the wrong tree. Um, and the media also asked for Wally's comment. And he said, 
Wally Malat, Ivan's brother, he said that anytime that anyone ever finds anything in that forest, they're going to find a way to link it to Ivan, which is true. Um, but once more details emerged about the victim, it became pretty obvious that Ivan Malat was not the perpetrator. So the victim was female, aged between 15 and 30 years, although police believed her to be at the younger end of the age range. Uh, there was no signs of knife or gun trauma to the bones and no ballistic evidence found at the scene. And the bones had been in the forest between 10 and 15 years, which knocked out Malat as a possibility as he would have already been in prison by that point. Yeah. So DNA was able to be extracted from the tibia bone of the victim, which was then uploaded to the National Criminal Investigation DNA database, which has the DNA profiles found at crime scenes from convicted offenders, um, from suspects with DNA on record and missing persons. So the Belangolo bones were compared with several high-profile missing person cases at the time, um, including the case of Carrie Whelan, who went missing in 1997 after her family received a ransom note for $1 million. Um, her family friend Bruce Burrell would eventually be convicted of Carrie's murder and the murder of another woman, but Carrie's body was never found. Um, the DNA from the Belangolo bones could not be matched to Carrie nor any other DNA in the New South Wales system, however. So on September 15, 2010, a couple of weeks now after the body has been found, police released a drawing of the shirt that was found with the bones. So the shirt featured a drawing of a heart with angel wings and the word angelic emblazoned in pink over the top. From this date on, the woman in the forest would become known as the Belangolo Angel. The shirt was by the brand Chain Reaction. It was available by, for purchase between 2003 and 2006, and it was a girl's size 10. The police um, appealed to the public that anybody who owned the shirt or knew somebody who owned the shirt come forward. Other items of clothing found with the body included a sock, a sleeper earring, and a shoelace. Uh, so thanks to the good people at the Essential Baby Forums online, I have established that Chain Reaction was a brand that had a few physical stores in a couple of states in Australia, including New South Wales, Victoria, and Western Australia. And the company was purchased by Specialty Fashion Group in 2006 and appears to have basically been absorbed into the larger company from there. It was totally non-existent by the time the Blangolo Angel was found in 2010, which kind of places the body to around that time before 2006. Mm -hmm. um, so by September 28, 2010, since Angel wasn't matching anybody in the New South Wales databases, investigators started looking towards other states and comparing to missing persons and DNA profiles in other systems. Um, they were also working with groups who worked with runaways and other at-risk teenagers to see if it was a girl who had run away from home or something similar. Um, due to the fact that the shirt found with the body was a girl size 10, police at the time thought it was highly likely the victim was quite young, possibly a teenager. At the same time, police stated that they believed there was a good chance that the Belangolo angel was from overseas. This was due to a stable isotopes analysis that was done on her bones that indicated that she hadn't spent much time in Australia. Based on this idea, her DNA profile was also handed over to Interpol. Uh, her dental records indicated that she had Western-style dental work done, but was not able to be matched to any known records. Also, when I was researching this case online, so many people online were like, how come they can't just match her using her dental records? Why don't they just look at her dental records and find her? So I wanted to clarify for anybody who didn't know, there is no giant dental records database that has everybody's teeth on it that police look at like so many people were like they can just use her dental records to identify her but if you don't know the person who it is or a dentist that would have done the work there is nothing to compare to because they say that all the time on tv yeah but you can't you need to like start Fifi, from a starting you naughty point. girl you've never done this before if he's playing with the blinds you're done presh yeah anyway Continue. your teeth are not saved by the government to analyze don't worry guys well thank god 
Well, thank God, right? I've been stressed about it. And really worried. Um, yeah, so the police believed that it was possible she was a tourist or a backpacker or possibly even somebody who entered Australia illegally and therefore was not on any government records. Um, it also seemed to police that she was somebody who could have lived completely off the grid with no records in any Australian database. Um, and although Ivan Malat had been ruled out, the police did have to question Matthew Malat, Ivan's nephew, who I mentioned in the Ivan Malat episode, mm. because he killed his mate, David Orcelloni, on November 20th, 2010, just a month and a bit after the angel was discovered. So for a second, they were like, oh, my God, maybe he's done this before. But they quickly, pretty quickly determined that he had no involvement. So um, the case was fairly quiet until late 2011 when a sketch was made of Angel's face, which was created by facial anthropologist Dr. Susan Hayes from the University of Western Australia. My new hero. My new hero. Yeah, she, she, she did a very good job. And making those sketches is not easy. They have to measure every single square inch of those skulls and basically build up layer by layer like of tissue and muscle and stuff like that before they can even get to like the roughest approximation of what that person looked like. It is not how it looks like on bones. You know, on Bones, they're always oh, like, that's because they've and got this that is what they look like. They've got that magic screen That thing. magic 3D computer screen thing. No, this is not what Susan Hayes had. She just had a ruler and some time. <laughs> <laughs> we are getting that on a T-shirt. All you need is a ruler and some time. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, continue. So anyway, um... The police published this image um, and, you know, pushed it through the media and everything like that. Uh, Homicide Squad Commander Detective Superintendent Michael Willing pleaded with the public saying that somebody must know who she is. Dr. Hayes stressed that it was a likeness of Angel, but she and the police hoped that at that point the picture would be spread wide enough that somebody would recognize her face. So from this point on, about December of 2011, the information released to the public about this case begins to slow down a little. Um, Angel was featured on a Channel 10 show called Wanted, hosted by Sandra Sully and Matt Doran. In Sandra Sully. Sandra Sully, the queen of Australian television. Um, this show came out in July of 2013. It has since been cancelled. It only ran for 10 episodes. Boo! The program at that time in 2000 stated that police were investigating new leads on the case. Um, a lot of chatter and armchair detectivery was done online on the various true crime forums that will remain nameless because I'm pretty sure I commented on them. Um, a lot of what people were looking at at the time was like comparing her to recorded missing persons from Europe and overseas because everybody was pretty sure that she was not from Australia due to that isotope analysis. Um, but the leads seemed to have kind of been drying up and Angel would lie un- unidentified in Glebe Morgue in New South Wales for some time. So a thousand kilometres away from Belangelo, another mystery was unfolding. On July 14th, 2015, a modus motorist driving along the Karunda Highway in Wanaka, South Australia, pulled over to the side of the road to answer the call of nature when he saw a tattered suitcase lying in the dirt. Next to the suitcase were some old battered children's clothing and some small skeletal remains. Old mate waited until the next day to call the police. So when they arrived on scene, it was apparent to investigators that the bones were those of a child aged between two and seven years old. And due to the circumstances of the discovery, it was apparent to South Australian Police Detective Superintendent Des Bray that the child had been murdered. The police determined that the child had been killed elsewhere and had been placed in the suitcase then left on the side of the highway. The police also determined that it was likely that the child had been deceased for some time. The police also believed that others, not just the guy who called the police, had interacted with the suitcase, moved it, opened it, 
tipped its contents out, etc. So police went door to door around the area and established that locals had seen the suitcase on the highway between four and six weeks previously. The police also very quickly established a person of interest in the case who was a well-dressed man in his 60s who was seen walking near the highway carrying a suitcase between six and eight weeks before the suitcase was first sighted. Uh, The police was fairly confident that this was a good lead as several different people commented that they saw the same man and this is a small town so some guy carrying a suitcase is pretty big news. So on July 17th, 2015, so two days after the body was brought to the attention of police, the police released some images of the items found in and around the suitcase. So the suitcase itself was black. It was Lanza brand sold by Strandbags, and inside was a purple Dora the Explorer t-shirt, blue pajama shorts, a pink pair of tracksuit pants, red shorts with white stripes down the side, a white coat, a pink dress, a black tutu dress, three pairs of pink pajama shorts, a pink shoe with a butterfly detail, and a black t-shirt with a smiley face. Fifi is like getting into the ivy. Fifi's eating fake plants on the side of the wall. Um, So the public released these images basically to ask any of the public that if they knew where these items were purchased or knew anybody that owned these items to come forward. So just like in the Blanklow case, the first port of call for the investigation was to look at the National Missing Persons Registry. Um, Detective Superintendent Bray was fairly confident that the body was from out of state as there was no active missing persons cases in Australia that fit the circumstances. Um, obviously the discovery of a child's body on the side of the road is explosive news at any point in time, but this discovery also occurred around 10 months after William Tyrell went missing. So there was still missing. He's still missing. Yes. Um, there was a lot of speculation like online from the police and also from the mainstream media, whether or not that these bones could be his. So detective Bray was like, look, we don't know if it's him or not. Stop going wild speculating, but also we don't know that it's not him. So there was a lot of attention being placed on this case. Uh, Post-mortem results were initially delayed with the police believing that they would be able to release the child's gender on the 17th of July, but it wasn't until the 23rd of July that Detective Superintendent Bray stated in a press conference the police believe the remains were those of a little girl. In the same press conference, Bray stated that police believe that she may have died up to eight years ago. She had fair hair and was between 90 and 95 centimetres tall, which is between two foot nine and three foot one for our American friends. Um, The placement of the suitcase was believed to be sometime in March of 2015 as roadworks were completed by the highway around that time and locals stated that they had seen the suitcase after then. The police continued to appeal for the man seen carrying the suitcase in Wanaka to come forward so he could be questioned or excluded. At this point in time, 24 children had been ruled out as a match to the Wanaka girl, including William Tyrell and Madeline McCann. Three days later, on July 26, the police made another appeal to the public, this time releasing images of a tattered quilt that was found with the body. The 90 by 90 centimetre quilt was handmade and was patchwork, and although the majority of the fabric had degraded over time, it was possible to make out the pattern on several squares, including one of music notes and one of pumpkins. Around 400 calls had been made to Crime Stoppers within 10 days of the body being discovered. The public was determined to give this little girl her name back and the investigators were certain, partially thanks to the handmade quilt that her remains were found with, that the child was loved and that there was somebody that cared that she was missing. The age range by this point had been narrowed down by police and it was determined that the girl was between the ages of two and a half and four when she died. And due to the items of clothing found with the suitcase, it was likely that she was killed between 2007 and 2009. As investigators believe that the suitcase wasn't placed by the side of the road in Wanaka until around March 2015, this horrifically seemed to imply that the killer had held on to her remains for some time. 
The bones weren't bleached and they weren't dirty, which means they were not left out in the open nor were they buried. They were likely kept somewhere warm and dry, possibly near her belongings until they degraded. The police at this point were pretty convinced that she had not always been in the suitcase, which I assume they would establish if there was a lack of decomposition fluid found on any of the items in the suitcase. So on the 4th of August, Detective Bray announced that another wild-scale canvas would be made of the Wanaka and surrounding areas, questioning locals and business owners and the like. Bray was certain that the handmade quilt would be essential in determining the girl's identity. The search had also been extended in the lab with various state and federal institutions giving police an additional 256 names of children to cross-reference with the Wanaka girl. This list of names was generated using government records such as immunization and Centrelink records. If a child had gotten to a certain age and stopped appearing on records, their names would have been on the list. Unfortunately, all 256 were ruled out. Um, At this time, it had not been possible for detectives to get a full DNA profile from the remains, although they were working with the Australian Centre for Ancient DNA to try and extract a profile from the bones. Despite these setbacks and the fact that it appeared that this little girl had managed to slip through quite a few institutional cracks, the police continued investigating, searching the area where she was found multiple times, including with mounted police, questioning thousands of locals and fielding thousands of calls to crime stoppers from the general public. Online, armchair detectives had taken to calling the little girl in the suitcase the Wanaka Angel. The name ended up being quite prophetic. So, the investigation into the Wanaka Angel had gone a little quiet until October 21, 2015, when detectives made the shocking announcement that the identities of both the Wanaka and Belangelo Angels had been uncovered. The Belangelo Angel was Carly Pierce Stevenson, and the Wanaka Angel was her daughter, Candelise Pierce. Carly was 20 years old when she was murdered and Candelise was two. They were from Alice Springs in the Northern Territory. Their bodies were located 1,100 kilometres apart, almost in a straight line from each other, from Belanglo in New South Wales to Wanaka in South Australia. The case was broken by two calls to Crime Stoppers. The first was called 1,267 in the case and it nominated Candelise as the missing girl. The caller said that Candelise and her mother Carly had been reported missing in 2009, but the missing person's report had been withdrawn after information was found that indicated Carly and Candelise were still alive. The second call, call number 1271, provided a photograph of Candelise sitting in a stroller with the handmade quilt found with her remains tucked behind her head. The quilt was made for her by her grandmother, who had died in 2010. Police were also provided with a photo of Candelise taken at Marion Shopping Centre in Adelaide where she was wearing the pink dress that was discovered with the remains. From there, police were able to ascertain that Candelise had had her immunisations at 18 months but there were no medical records after that and she'd never been enrolled in school. The police were then able to access Candelise's DNA from her heel prick test. So in Australia, possibly the world, I don't know, but definitely in Australia, every baby like has like a blood sample taken from them um, two days after they're born. So doctors can screen for like health issues like cystic fibrosis and things like that. Um, so the blood from this test was compared with the DNA that they'd finally been able to extract from the bones and it confirmed that the girl in the suitcase was Candelise. So from there, knowing that Candelise had a mother who had disappeared too, the police looked at potential matches around Australia DNA from the Belanglo Angel was compared to the DNA from Candelise and the DNA showed that the two were mother and daughter. So Detective Superintendent Bray had stated that the identification of Carly and Candelise was only the beginning of the investigation and boy was he right. The New South Wales and South Australian police created a joint task force called Task Force Malaya with officers from both jurisdictions to investigate the murders. 
So we still here in 2018 don't know a lot about Carly and Candelise's life um, in Alice Springs and what happened to them after they left. So Carly grew up in Breitling in Adelaide, Adelaide's northern suburbs and she, Adelaide in Alice Springs, northern suburbs. She attended Alice Springs High School. She was a netball player and her nickname was Mouse because she was small and quick. She was described as the kind of girl who was quiet initially, but loud once you got to know her, cheeky and funny, friendly and always up for a chat. She had Candelise at age 18 and apparently she had a bit of a rough time after she was born and would occasionally get into fights with her mum, Colleen. It's not known 100% why Carly and Candelise left Alice Springs. Um, it's said that she left in search of work sometime in 2008. There's also quite a lot of misinformation online about when she left. So some articles put Carly and Candelise leaving in 2006, which is ridiculous because Candelise was born in 2006. So she would not have left home to work with a newborn child. Whatever, whatever about leaving with a two-year-old child, no 18-year-old mother would leave with a newborn. So I'm almost 1,000% certain that she left Alice Springs in 2008. Um, at this stage of the investigation, police were pretty sure that the last recorded sighting of Carly and Candelise was on November 8 in Cooper PD when Carly was pulled over by police driving along the Stewart Highway. Cooper PD is around 850 kilometres north of Adelaide in South Australia. So photographs were taken by a friend at Marion Shopping Centre in Adelaide on the 14th of November 2008. These photos of Carly sitting down on a bench holding her flip mobile phone and of Candelise in the pink dress are the photos that first come up when you Google this case. These are the last photographs that were taken of Carly and Candelise alive. At this point in time, there was also an unconfirmed sighting of Carly and Candelise in December of 2008 in Charmwood in the Australian Capital Territory. So as I mentioned before, a missing persons report was filed on September 4th, 2009 by Carly's mum, Colleen Povey, with the Northern Territory Police. After leaving Alice in 2008, Carly, uh, contact between Carly and her mum became less and less frequent and Colleen was incredibly worried that she hadn't heard from Carly in some time. However, the report was withdrawn after Colleen informed police that she had received word from Carly that she was okay but didn't want to be in contact with family members. There was also a Facebook page created called Help Find Carly that seems to have been created by Carly's cousin. The main purpose of this page was to try and get Carly to come back to see her mother who was sick with breast cancer. Unfortunately, Colleen Povey passed away in 2012, believing that her daughter was working interstate and not wanting to have contact with her family. The Facebook page was shut down around September of 2015. So Carly's living family were obviously devastated to hear of their passing. They had believed up until this point that it was possible that Carly and Candelise are still alive and well. A crowdfunding page was set up on OzCrowd to help pay for the girls' remains to be shipped back to Alice, but the South Australian government said that they would pay the cost through the Victims of Crime Fund. Um, I mention all this stuff because I wanted to stress that Carly and Candelise were being looked for by their families. Like, they weren't forgotten. Their families were trying as hard as they possibly could with not a lot of help to try and locate the two girls. That's about all we really know about their lives, their family lives, and who they were before they were murdered. So after about seven years of lying unidentified, the investigation into Carly and Candelise's murder got real hot real fast. So they were identified on October 21st. On October 22nd, police announced they had a suspect in the case. Jesus. I know. This person was a man who was in custody in, in a New South Wales jail on an unrelated offence. This person was a convicted sex offender. So he was taken from the minimum security ring of Cessnock Correctional Centre to the Cessnock Police Station, interviewed, then placed back into the maximum security wing. The reason why he couldn't be interviewed in the jail is because all police interviews have to be recorded audioly and visually, 
and they didn't have those facilities at the prison. So police believed he was one of several people who were involved in some way in the deaths of Carly and Kendallese. On the 23rd of October 2008, police conducted raids on a number of houses in South Australia and Canberra, including suburbs including Charnwood, Hillbank and Devoren Park. These were homes of people who were associated with Carly and Candelise in some way. Police called, called these raids extremely productive and said that items were found that would be useful to the investigation. The police believed that the person who, kill, who killed the girls was not from Alice Springs and was somebody that they had met since leaving town. They also believed that Carly was murdered in the Belanglo State Forest, not just dumped there. They believed that both girls were killed in late December 2008, but they were killed at different times and in different locations. Police also believe that the killer selected the Belanglo State Forest on purpose in order to throw them off the trail of who the real killer was. So he did it on purpose so people would think that Ivan Milat killed her, but clearly didn't realise that people could date when bones were killed. So on October 27, 2015, just a week after they're identified, um, Carly, after Carly and Kendallis were identified, police announced in a press conference a huge twist to the case. So police revealed that Carly Pierce Stevenson's bank account was accessed hundreds of times after her death in late 2008 and that her phone was used in order to pretend that Carly was still alive. In total, over $90,000 was accessed from Carly's account from 2008 to 2012. $90,000 was accessed from her account. So this money came from Centrelink payments, wages, and to quote the police, from fraud. So $90,000 sounds like a huge amount of money, but over like the course of four-ish years, like if you divide it, it's not all that much. It's about like a low income per year over four years. Yeah. I should have done the maths, but I didn't. Sorry, just $90,000 sounds like a lot of money right it, I mean, it is a lot of money. Mm. It's a lot of money to steal from a dead person. Yeah. Like $1 is a lot of money to steal from a dead person. Um, so Carly's phone was used to send text messages to her family in order to prove that she was still alive after she died. This included contacting Carly's mother, Colleen, after the missing persons report was filed. The perpetrators also asked Carly's family members to send money, which they did, and which was then taken out of Carly's account. The perpetrators sent texts and even called Carly's family on occasion. Um, an ABN, which is an Australian business number, also was set up in Carly's name, registered to the business KP Exploration Drilling. The ABN was created in 2011 and cancelled in 2015. In June 2010, a woman in a wheelchair posed as Carly at the Australian Credit Union in Elizabeth, South Australia. So um, in December of 2010, the Australian Cre Central Credit Union and the Savings and Loan Credit Union merged to create People's Choice Credit Union. Um, they basically, because they were changing over, people had to start like updating their details and everything like that. And it was believed that this person had gone to the bank at that time to update their details so that Carly's Alice Springs address, you know, like if they were getting a new card or something like that, it wouldn't be sent to her Alice Springs address. It would be sent to wherever these perpetrators were located. Um, a woman also posed as Carly at a Centrelink in South Australia and provided identity, identity documents for both Carly and Candelise. So Carly's bank account was last accessed in 2012 and was closed in 2015 due to inactivity. Carly's Centrelink payments were stopped in 2011 after Centrelink encountered an issue with her payments. Um, so basically the ABN was set up in January of 2011. So basically the theory goes that once her Centrelink payments stopped coming in, the people set up the ABN so they could take out a credit card or something else in her name and keep accessing funds on her behalf. 
So for the Australian public, hearing all this information, it was quite shocking, but it was also a little bit of deja vu because it reminded lot, lots of people of the Snowtown murders where those perpetrators also killed all those people and used, like stole their identities to access their Centrelink payments and what have you. Um, so for many, the sheer scale and audaciousness of the fraud made this one of the most despicable crimes in Australian history. And for the look on Jess's face right now, she agrees. Correct. Very correct. So on October 28, 2015, news broke that police had arrested 41-year-old Daniel James Holden with the murder of Carly Pierce Stevenson. He was arrested at 4.15pm in Cessnock Police Station. He appeared by video link at Maitland Court, had his bail formally refused and was remanded into custody. So from what I can establish, once police knew Carly and Candelise's identity, um, which obviously they would have known before they released it to the public, it was very obvious that Daniel Holden was the killer. Um, I think it is, this hasn't been released, but I think it's very possible that a crime, like one of the person that called Crime Stoppers knew that it was likely that this person had killed Carly. Yes, because they got onto him so quick, like in not even a fortnight, he was arrested basically. So police believed that Carly was murdered in the Blanglow State Forest on December 14th or 15th. Phone records placed Daniel James Holdham in the forest on these dates. Police believe that Carly was murdered first with Candelise being kept alive for an unknown amount of time afterwards. Both Carly and Candelise died violent deaths. However, the injuries they sustained were different. Daniel was questioned upon his arrest for Carly's murder about his involvement in Candelise's murder, but he didn't cooperate with police. So who is Daniel James Holdham? He is a big old creep. Um, It was reported that Daniel and Carly had previously had a romantic relationship and that she had possibly left Alice Springs in the first place to go and live with him. Except I got that information from the Daily Mail, so it's probably not true. Um, So I mentioned before that the person that the police initially questioned was in prison. This person was obviously Daniel James Holdham and he was in prison for sexually assaulting an eight-year-old girl in 2013. Oh, you piece of shit. Literally. piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In 1999, he broke into the house of a woman and attempted to suffocate her with a pillow before trying to strangle her to death. Thankfully, he did not succeed in that case. Um, He broke an AVO, which is essentially the Australian version of a restraining order in 2001. He stalked a female victim, followed her into a childcare centre and then used his vehicle to prevent her from leaving. Um, In 2008, he was driving a car that was in a serious accident that resulted in the deaths of two children. Mm. This is in September of 2008, the same year that he murdered Carly and Candelise. For this, he received a 12-month good behaviour bond and lost his licence. So there was another police incident with Holdham um, in 2013. Uh, This was before he went to prison, obviously. Um, Holdham and a then unidentified female were stopped on the side of the road when police approached them on the side of Mangrove Road um, in the New South Wales Central Coast. He was sitting in the car and there was like property all piled up around the vehicle. You know when you see people and they're moving and there is like stuff in their entire car and you're like, how can you see? You obviously can't. The police were like, "Mm, suspicious. So... Holdham told the police that he was broken down, but the police were a bit sus and questioned him because he was starting to become very nervous and his hands were shaking. In Holdham's wallet, they found a bank card in the name of K. Pierce Stevenson. He told police the card belonged to an ex-girlfriend, but the police thought he was using the card as a fraudulent form of identification because um, it was out of date. 
it had a name that wasn't Daniel James Holdem on it and also like the bank had completely changed names. So they destroyed the card, but they never looked into who K. Pierce Stevenson was. So nothing ever happened to him at this point in time. So I just think it's insane that the police found her card that he had been using for years to steal her money after he'd murdered her. And we're like, this is suspicious and we're going to destroy this card, but it's Let's not suspicious not enough for investigated it. even further. Jesus. Not to like shit on the police in this case, because I think they did a very good job. But those people that like found that bank card, if they had just looked into it a little bit more, this case could have been solved so much quicker. Um, so the woman who was in the car with him at the time was his 16-year-old fiance. Cute. Uh-huh. And they oh. were driving to go and move into the caravan park that he would later find the eight-year-old girl that he sexually assaulted and went to prison for. So he's potentially one of the grossest human beings to ever live. He's right. He's got to run for the money on the guy who murdered Anita Cobby in terms of sheer, like, fucked upness. Messed up. Anyway, he's been arrested. So on October 31st, 2015, um, police questioned a wheelchair-bound woman named Hazel Passmore, who is Daniel Holdham's ex-partner. Hazel Passmore was in the car that Daniel Holdham was driving when he had the fatal crash in September of 2008. The children that died were her daughter Willow, age nine, and Brian, age seven. Hazel was paralyzed and her youngest daughter Lauren and Daniel Holdham survived that crash. So Hazel and Daniel were living together in the South Australian suburb of Hillbank and police believe that Carly and Candelise visited them there at some point in 2008. In August of 2008, a month before her two children died and four months before Carly and Candelise were murdered, Hazel Passmore posted a photo onto Facebook of a white car shown in a car show in the Northern Territory. Candelise Pierce was in that photo and another one found on Hazel's Facebook page on the same day. The photo was captioned with Candelise. Hazel Passmore's son, Ryan, who would die in a car accident the next month, was also in the photo. And Hazel's house was one of the houses that was raided by police on October 23rd. So police believe that this was the woman who impersonated Carly at the bank and at the Centrelink in 2010, and also the woman that impersonated Carly over the phone to family members. Police later alleged that the woman called up Carly's family and used a whispering voice in order to fraudulently prove that Carly was still alive. Like when you call in sick and you're like, oh, I'm just I'm so, so sick. sorry. I can't make it. I just sound so I bad. Just, yeah. I just, oh, I don't know what's, I'm sure it's a 24 hour thing. Like that, except to pretend that a dead woman is alive so you can scam her. Um, so the extent to Hazel's involvement in the fraud isn't 100% confirmed. I don't know if she was like a main instigator or if she was pushed into it by Daniel. Um, I also don't know if she received any of the money or used any of the money. Um, also up for dispute is the nature of her relationship with her, Daniel and Carly. Some dramatic news articles like the Daily Mail, for example, wrote it as a love triangle. It's stated that um, it's been stated that Hazel and Daniel's relationship broke up after the car crash, and while Hazel was in hospital recuperating from the car crash, Carly and Daniel formed some kind of relationship. But by March of two thousand and nine, Hazel and Daniel were back together, um, and it's also evident by the photos posted on Hazel's Facebook page in August of two thousand eight that Daniel, Carly, and Hazel all knew each other. Um, Hazel was still in hospital recovering from the car crash when Carly and Candelise were murdered, so her possibility to be involved in the actual murder is quite limited. So we're jumping forward ahead in time a little bit now to December 14th, 2015. Daniel Holden was arrested for the murder of Candelise Pierce and questioned at Parramatta Police Station. 
Police had found Candelise's birth certificate in a home associated with Daniel Holden that was raided in October. By now, it was overwhelmingly evident to police and to the public that this man was responsible, responsible for the deaths of both girls. He was committed to stand trial for the murder of both mother and daughter on the 17th of August 2017, with Carly and Candelise's family watching from the crowd. So in this hearing, a lot more new information came out, and there were finally some answers to what exactly had happened to Carly and Candelise. The pr- prosecution alleged that part of the motive for the murder was to gain access to Carly's money. Carly had been staying with Daniel and with other people associated with him in Charnwood in Canberra in late 2008, but the pair had met in Alice Springs, possibly when Hazel and Daniel went up there for the car show, not 100% known. The prosecution stated that Carly and Daniel left Canberra on December 14th, 2008, after they'd had an argument. They left in Carly's car and headed towards the forest. Some articles describe this as Daniel luring Carly away. Some say that they left like angry, but still fine, but they left December 14th. Once in the forest, Holdem allegedly later told a witness that he had killed Carly by stomping on her throat and crushing her windpipe. This was consistent with the post-mortem examination of Carly. Her cause of death was given as blunt force trauma, which was revealed for the first time in this hearing. So before all this, there was no talk about cause of death. All the police would say was that it was violent, but they never said anything specifically. So from there, Holdem took a photo of Carly's dead body lying in the forest before driving back to Canberra in her car. He allegedly asked a friend to help clean her cars a few days later, which he then traded in for another vehicle. A purchase was made using Carly's bank card on the 16th of December 2008 in Charnwood. So only one or two days after she was killed, Carly had started using, Holdem had started using Carly's bank card. He told a witness that he was going to drive Candelise back to her family in South Australia. The prosecution claimed, however, that he had no intention of giving Candelise back to family as it would only lead to questions about what happened to Carly. He told witnesses that he had dropped Carly off at a bus stop after they'd had a fight and then he then left the ACT with Candelise. He stopped at a Woolworths and purchased duct tape, cl- dishcloths, soap and garbage bags. They checked into the Narandera Midtown, Midtown Motel near Wagga Wagga in New South Wales on December 19, 2008. At the motel, he signed a registration form that he was checking in one child and one adult. This is the last indication that we have of Candelise being alive. Police believe that Holdem killed Candelise in Wagga Wagga. He checked out of the motel alone. Police tracked his mobile phone activity, which demonstrated he was in South Australia and around the Karunda Highway in late December. Winaka is around five hundred, around 800 kilometres away from Wagga Wagga. So two witnesses had told police that Holdem had made comments about suffocating Candelise. A witness then asked about Carly and Holdem commented that he sh- she was gone, she's dead. There was also evidence presented in the committal hearing from a diary entry of a witness. The diary entry written in October 2013 stated, Daniel's lied to me, said he killed Carly and Candle, but they're still alive. It's all over Facebook. He says they're dead and he made them think she's alive, but everything don't make sense. Straight up lady who wrote that, everything don't make sense. So the photo or photos that Daniel took of Carly's dead body were discovered on an SD card by a witness who then gave it to a relative for safekeeping in case anything happened to the witness. It was discovered by police in the raids before Holden was arrested. So flashing back to October 2015, when Holden was first uh, questioned in prison, police were like 99% sure that he was responsible for the deaths of Carly and Candelise. Uh, They questioned him for several hours, but he lied about their whereabouts the whole time. 
In his first police interview, he says he dropped off Carly and Candelise at a motel in Canberra in late 2008. He told police that he decided to get back with his ex-girlfriend who lived interstate. He said that he never saw him again, but texted occasionally. And then later in the same interview, he claimed to have seen them in 2009 in Adelaide, where he alleged that Carly had told him that she was going back, uh, going to Queensland or back to Alice Springs. He then asked police officers to come back a few days later, claiming that he had examined his conscience and he wanted to tell the police who the real killer was. He tried to pin it on a former friend and offered to be a witness for the police at any future trial. He said that this former friend had dropped off Carly and Candelise at a bus stop and never saw and he never saw them again. He said that this person had disposed of Carly and Candelise's remains alone. But by this point in time, police had the photo of Carly's dead body on an SD card belonging to Daniel and other belongings of Carly and Candelise's that were found at his home, as well as the mobile evidence that said he was in the forest the same day Carly was killed. Holden was arrested a couple of days later and he said to the police, you've got the wrong man, you'll see. No, we don't see Dick. No, we don't see Dick. <laughs> it also came out in the committal hearing that Holden, pretending to be Carly, had asked Carly's mother, Colleen, for money so that Carly could come back to Alice to see Colleen before she died. Colleen transferred the money, which I've seen reported as anywhere between $500 to $4,500, which was then taken out of Carly's account. But obviously, Carly never arrived in Alice Springs. Mobile phone records demonstrated that these phone calls to Colleen Povey likely came from an area near Hazel Passmore's house in Hillbank, South Australia. So this overwhelming amount of circumstantial evidence proved to a judge that the prosecution had sufficient evidence to bring Holden to trial. Holden was arraigned and his trial was due to begin on August 6, 2018. But mercifully, on July 31, 2018, just a week before his trial was due to start, Daniel Holden pled guilty to the murders of Carly and Candelise. So in five days' time, as the time of recording, on September 28th, 2018, he will be sentenced, hopefully to life in prison. So there is still a lot that we don't know about this case. We kind of know, we, we, I feel like we have 75% of the picture, but there's still a lot of questions. One of my main questions is why he did it, because I feel like it's a lot to do for for settling payments yeah and Carly Carly was on like the single parents pension which is like $600 a week like that is not that's not a lot of money that's not a lot of money and obviously he was a psycho like a psycho and a child abuser but did he murder Carly so he could get back together with Hazel like I feel like see like possible. obviously there's no logic in murder. There's, there's no logic in murder, but it's also such an illogical murder that you just think, where was your brain at? Like why and how could you do this to like a twenty year old mother, but also to her two year old daughter? Like she was two years old. It is unbelievably it's the emotional manipulation of the mother and Yeah. Oh God, yes. I feel sick. I feel absolutely sick. Yeah, it was horrible. <sighs> totally horrible. What there's there's some there's been some things online like everything and I've read like probably I don't know 800 books worth of material on this case now. Um and a lot of like conversation and discussion and stuff online and most people are very respectable while talking about Carly and Candelise, but then there is also a certain subsection of people that kind of have intimated that they kind of felt like Carly got what was coming to her. How? 
how? Because she was like a low-income single mother who had a child oh, at 18. Oh, yeah, she had it coming because she was poor. Fuck you. And that she ran around with the wrong crowd and that she should have known what kind of guy Daniel was before getting involved with him. And, you know, I just think that, like, there's no justification to murder a 20-year-old and her two-year-old daughter, no matter who she runs around with, no matter what is going on in her life. Like, Guess what? Moral of the story, no one's fucking asking to be murdered. No one's asking to be murdered, no. No one is asking at all. You want to do the whole socioeconomic fucking bullshit argument? You're an idiot. You're an idiot, You're an absolute idiot. Yes. Um, There there are also a couple of questions I have with the early police investigation, like in 2010 and 2015. Um, So one thing that I found really interesting was that when reading about Candelise – initially the police were like she did not die in that suitcase like her dead like her corpse was not placed in that suitcase immediately after death um and everything that I read seemed to indicate because there was no like decomposition fluid like on her clothes or in the suitcase that you know her her body was was somewhere else and then somebody placed it into the suitcase and then placed it on the side of the highway in 2015 but then when Candelise like when she was identified and everything started happening, they said, no, he killed her on December 19th and then basically immediately drove straight to South Australia to Winaka and dumped her body then. So I want to know how that changed. Like what what was going wrong scientifically in the first place that kind of said. Um, when you were talking about how someone found the suitcase and it was like disheveled and – yeah. So obviously someone went through it. People had gone through it. Police said multiple people and witnesses had said, yeah, I looked into the suitcase. And like, seen the body. Well, it was just bones. It was just like it was skeletal remains on the side of like a highway. You know, it it wouldn't necessarily – if you saw bones, you know, out in the outback, like this is very, very like desolate, remote. Like but this is not near. wouldn't seen skull? Not necessarily. Not if the bones were moved around. You know, if you saw one bone – like I saw a bone – on in South Bank when I was walking over here and I was like, oh, I hope that's a chicken bone. I couldn't tell from sight. You know, if you saw a bone that was small enough and you're in the outback, you would probably assume that it would be something that had died. And also seeing clothes or weird stuff in the side of the road, not not that unusual. Mm, stuff falls off of car. It's like we said last time, it's like in America where they always assume it's a mannequin. Like we always you, assume it's a kangaroo. We always assume it's a kangaroo or something else that's died. Um, another scientific issue was the isotope analysis done on Carly that said she was from Europe. What the hell happened there, science? Like, they were very, very certain that she had not spent any time in Australia and that she could be like a backpacker or a tourist. So isotopes, run me through it. Isotopes. Oh, I'm a scientist. I I did read a lot about it. This is Someone's going to send me pictures of isotopes now to teach me. But basically like, okay, so when you drink water. Yeah which we all do. I'm drinking water right now. Correct. Um, so the like chemical makeup of like water and stuff like that is different in every, in every place. Country. So the composition and of... A record of that composition is like in our hair and our teeth and our bones and stuff like that. So if you analyze... You can kind of you pinpoint can where someone pinpoint comes where from. somebody comes from. Yeah. So if I've drunk in the Brisbane city water my whole life and somebody analyzes my hair... They'll be like, yep, that's that's got the isotopes from the Brisbane City water. Right. It's that kind of thing. Okay. So, and to be fair to the investigators in 2008, from what I could research, isotope testing in forensics was very new at this point in time. 
um, like literally like I think a year before in like 2006 or 2007, they had their first like successful case where they could identify somebody based on the isotope, isotope analysis. analysis. But boy, was it wrong, especially because she was from like central Australia. Central, central. She never left. So that was wild. Um, another theory, a theory that had been put on by a lot of people online that I feel like I should mention, even though I don't really want to, but it is the main kind of theory that's discussed by armchair detectives is that the possibility that Daniel used Carly as like a drug runner. So basically um, Carly, like from what we know when she left Alice Springs was driving these huge distances, like in the weeks before she died, she'd driven 4,800 kilometers from like Alice Springs to Canberra to South Australia and back. Right. And apparently, according to people online who probably don't know anything and are probably lying, it was the same route that is used to run drugs. I don't know anything about drug running. Um, don't so, get into contact us and tell us about that. We don't want to know. No, I don't want to know. No, I just dropped something. Um, so yes, I thought I should acknowledge that it is very, I don't know what she was doing when she was driving those huge distances, especially, but especially since she was going to Alice Springs, but not having any contact with her family. Um, I think it's curious and I hope it is something that comes out in the sentencing. I think we will find out a lot more information. And yeah. So by the time you listen to this, everybody's already going to know and be like, I can't believe she doesn't know that this is why he killed her. She's such an idiot for not being five days in the future to make this relevant. Um, I will post a map that I made in the show notes somehow, um, of Carly's last days, where she was, where she traveled around to. It's interesting. You can also peruse. Let me know what your theories are. Um, so before we wind up this episode, I wanted to say that, uh, Carly and Kendalise were finally laid to rest in December of 2015. A death notice was posted in the Northern Territory News shortly after their remains were identified. It was written by Carly's stepfather and stepbrother and featured a picture of a butterfly and an image of a teddy bear. And it was titled Carly and Candles. I'm probably going to pull a solid Jess and cry while reading this, but I did want to read it because I think it's really beautiful. So Carly and Candles. Every day, the sun doesn't shine as bright as it did, but the night is now lit with a few more stars. No more looking to see if that girl is you as we saw someone else in a crowd. No more waiting to hear. No more waiting to see you show up smiling again as usual. No more laughter, giggles and pranks. No more late nights just talking with the music playing. You are the only one that knows and now you can tell your mum, nana and grandma when you see them again. Our hearts have a thousand cuts and we will remain your strength. It's hard to get by with just a smile, girl. I'll always remember you as a child. Give Candles a hug from me and Luke, sweetie. Love forever, Dad and Luke. So it's been 10 years since Carly and Candelise were killed and we are only days away from finding out what actually happened to them. I wanted to say that it doesn't matter to me and it shouldn't matter to anybody else if she was involved in bad news or running with the wrong crowd or what happened to her. Nobody deserves to be murdered. Again, a very controversial statement from the hosts of Murder in the Land of Oz. Murder's bad. Yeah. But there's no, you know, Carly and Candelise were loved by her family. And they were missed. And they're missed. And God, I hope to everything that's up there that Daniel Holden goes to prison forever. Because it just sucks. It sucks that somebody can take somebody else's life away for something as stupid as their Centrelink payments. You don't even get that much. 
I can't talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to have to find some more like upbeat murders. <laughs> Maybe we should do a murder, like, where somebody really deserved to die. You know what I mean? Like, just some real bad person just got what was coming to them. That would be really satisfying. But instead, we've just had horrible, horrible stories of innocent women, usually, who have been terrible, terribly, terribly killed. I'm sorry, Jess, I didn't mean to make you cry. So um, after the sentencing, I'll post an update as to what happened. Stalling for time, so just can finish crying. Okay, <laughs> hey, I'm back. I'm sorry. Ooh, okay. Yes, yeah. we will also talk about it on the next episode. Yeah, yeah we'll do. Uh, yeah, because it's my turn next. What's next, Jess? Oh, just another horrible one. Just another real bad, real bad crime. Um, yeah. God, thank you for doing that, Ellen. I didn't. I don't really know much about that case, and I'm. I think we are the first podcast to talk about it. I could not find one where I, when I was starting my research. That could be wrong, but um, I couldn't find anything. If you've done an episode on this case, it was probably significantly better than this one was, so I'd like to listen to it. Yeah, um, um, yeah so uh, it's my turn next, and I'm going to be doing uh, – I don't know why I keep picking these because they frustrate me beyond belief, but I'm doing a case that's unsolved-ish. And there's a lot of theories-ish. God, I love a theory. Um, I'm going to be covering the Wanda Beach murders. You've got your work cut out for you, girl. I know. Mm. We're going to go have a few glasses of wine after this. Yeah, I need a, I need some Moscato. I need some Ribena wine. Oh, God, okay. That was really hard. Um, okay, so if you would like to get in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook at Murder in the Land of Oz. Um, once again, thank you so much to Sherry and Roy for reaching out and I, you know, giving us feedback on this is great. And, um, but the fact that it's positive is wonderful. Um, if you do have constructive criticism and you're going to present it to us in a constructive manner, that isn't going to make me want to jump off of a cliff, please feel free to send it through. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Murder in the Land of Oz. We're also on Twitter at Murder in the Land of Oz. You can send us an email at murderinthelandofoz at gmail.com. Um, if you have any cases that you'd like us to cover for our Victorian season, which is coming up soon-ish, oh, my God, this I year know, is going, it's going so, so quickly. Fast. We're going to cover Australia and we're going to have a circle back around. Also, I think we should do some episodes in New Zealand. Oh, definitely. definitely the other definitely. Australia. And also I just want to cover some um, – not necessarily Australian murders, but some overseas ones that have really piqued my interest over the last. We're not doing John Bonet. <laughs> I want to do John Bonet, please. Thank you. We're not doing John Bonet. I really want to do John Bonet, please. Let me do it. Um, but yes, thank you so much for joining us. Please make sure you're rate and reviewing. Tell your friends. Tell your Tinder dates. Tell your Bumble dates. Do your work. Do your homework. <laughs> do the things. And yeah, and also tell your families that you love them. Oh God, honestly, like that I don't want to cry but there are some very important people in my life that aren't doing very well at the moment and oh my god hug them and hold them and tell them that you love them and just don't waste time stop wasting time do the things kiss the boys kiss the girls do the things just fuck it yes do it do everything that you've ever wanted to we're talking to you specifically Charlotte I'm gonna freak out somebody called Charlotte from saying that (laughs) 
please. Somebody named Charlotte is like, oh my God, this is a sign I've been looking for. Please stop wasting time and please don't don't hold grudges against people because you just never know when things are going to. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is such a downer. But yes, please stop wasting time. Please go and do the things. If you're going to take anything from tonight, please stop wasting time. Kiss the boy, kiss the girl, do the things, drink the wine. The end. Keep listening to our show, though. We love you. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.